0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's really nice to be back with you in Carrick-Fergus and thanks to Alison and the team for leading us so well in our worship. Couldn't have picked better songs myself for the message. They just tied in so well, so thank you for that. Um, One of the things about visiting another church is you can be totally self-indulgent and you can pick your favorite passage to preach on. And I want to turn... Your attention to my favourite psalm in all of the Bible, Psalm 46. Psalm 46, if you turn there, uh, we'll read it together. So, Psalm 46, let's read from uh, verse 1. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea and its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. is our fortress. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of his own inspired word. Uh, This is Martin Luther's favorite uh, psalm, and whenever he felt discouraged or downhearted, uh, frightened or afraid, he would turn to his friend and fellow reformer, Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. Indeed, it was as he uh, journeyed to the Diet of Worms to meet uh, Emperor Charles V, his brother, six German princes, 24 dukes, eight archbishops, 30 bishops and abbots, seven ambassadors and papal nuncios, 206 altogether, in whose presence he made that remarkable statement, my conscience is captive to the word of God, Uh, here I stand, I can do no other, that he um, composed his hymn based on this particular psalm. A safe stronghold. Our God is still a trusty shield and weapon. He'll help us clear from all the ill that hath us now overtaken. And though they take our life, which was a very real possibility, and though they take our life, goods, honour, children, wife, yet is their profit small. These things shall vanish all. The city of God remaineth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Still, still, that was Luther's point, that the truths of of Psalm 46 were as relevant to him in the 16th century AD as they were in the 8th century BC, and they're still relevant to us in the 21st century AD. Now, most commentators believe that the background to this psalm is the siege of Jerusalem by King Sennacherib, during the reign of godly King Hezekiah. The Assyrian army had marched south through Syria into northern Israel and uh, in, into uh, Judah. They had captured every city, every town, every village that stood in their path, leaving a trail of uh, destruction and devastation behind. Uh, at last, they came to the city of Jerusalem and they l- led siege to the city of God. At first, Hezekiah tried appeasement. He went into the temple, he stripped the temple of its silver and gold and uh, special uh, uh, artifacts and purchased through bribery the, the retreat of Sennacherib. Sennacherib did retreat initially, had second thoughts, came back and led siege to the city again. If you go to the British Museum, you can find a little clay Assyrian tablet that uh, Sennacherib says that he had shut King Hezekiah up. In Jerusalem like a bird in a cage. So Hezekiah prays to God. His prayers recorded for us in 2 Kings 19. If you want to flick back there, you're welcome. But I'll, I'll read it to you anyway. 2 Kings 19 and verse 16. He says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have led waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us Please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And so, in response to that prayer, the prophet Isaiah sends a message to uh, Hezekiah, telling him to remain strong and resolute that God would deliver the city of Jerusalem, the holy city, from the hand of King Sennacherib. And so, in uh, the night, The angel of Jehovah came, and he struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. One night, and the enemies of God were destroyed, and the city of God was uh, delivered. Now, it seems that either before those events... Or perhaps, and I think there's evidence in the psalm for this, that during those events, this psalm was composed, and it was a psalm that was designed to instill courage and fortitude into the hearts of the flagging people of God. Uh, Maybe written by Isaiah, maybe written by Hezekiah himself, but it's it's a psalm that's designed to inspire courage in the face of opposition. Now, the psalm can be divided into three sections each by that little word, selah. Uh, we don't know what that word means. It's probably a musical term. It <coughs> perhaps means to pause and reflect. I'm not, I'm not sure... Uh, why younger men insist on, on reading the word selah when they read the psalm, because it's, a, it's probably a musical instruction, and that's all, all all it is. So, But it's very helpful here because it divides the psalm up for us. Also, verse 1 is like a table of contents to those three sections. So, God is our refuge, The first section, God is our strength. The second section, God is a very present help in trouble. The third section. So it helps if you just bear that in mind as we approach those three sections. Now in section one, that's verses one to three, we see that God is protecting us. We need not fear. In verses four to seven, God is strengthening us. We will not faint. And then verses 8 to 11, God is sovereign, we need not fret. So first of all, the first section, uh, verses 1 to 3, God is protecting us, we need not fear. Let's just read those three verses again. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. So, its waters roar and foam, and the mountains twim, tremble at its swelling. Now, verses 2 and 3 speak of what we would call natural disasters. So, the earth giving way, earthquakes. Mountains falling into the heart of the sea, volcanoes. Waters roaring and foaming, tidal waves. And mountains trembling at their swelling, hurricanes. Now, some commentators have expressed surprise that the psalmist speaks of what we would call natural phenomena when when Jerusalem's difficulties had a very human origin and a very human cause. But think about it for a moment. Those four things, earthquakes, volcanoes, tidal waves, and hurricanes have two things in common, that you can't stop them and you can't predict them. As we know from Morocco and from Libya, man is powerless before them. You can't stop them and you can't predict them. They're unpredictable and they're unstoppable. And the psalmist is saying, when the unpredictable and the unstoppable comes into your life, remember that God is your refuge, your strength, your present help in trouble. Therefore, that therefore is an important therefore. Remember whenever you see therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask what it's therefore. And it's therefore, it's there because we're, we're being told that even when our lives are thrown into chaos and tur- turmoil, we are not to fear because God is our refuge, our strength, our very present help in trouble. Alps and Andes may tremble. The Pacific and Atlantic may surge. Vesubius and Etna may erupt armies of opposition may uh, gather around us, but we are not to fear. Spurgeon says fear for the Christian is an irrational emotion. Uh, It may be an irrational emotion, but it's a very common emotion. But we are not to fear— Because God is our refuge. God is protecting us. God is looking after us. Fear is a terrible thing. It can paralyze you in your faith, and it can rob you of our our joy. But we are not to fear. That word trouble there at the end of verse 1 literally means to be in a tight spot or to be found in a tight place. And uh, Hezekiah was in a tight place in Jerusalem with these armies that uh, encircled the city. And sometimes the Christian finds himself in tight places. His wife dies. Well, he never expected that. He's made redundant, a job that he thought was secure. His child is killed tragically in a Car accident, never for a moment did he think ever that he would outlive his children. He goes to the doctor who refers him to a consultant, and he discovers he has terminal cancer, aggressive terminal cancer, maybe only months to live and even amongst the family of Christians, he finds himself misunderstood at times and misrepresented. Things are out of control they 're beyond his control, yet he is not to fear because God is his refuge. A refuge provides shelter and protection in the face of danger. It's a place of security and strength. How often, even in singing this morning, we refer to God as our refuge, our strong tower, our fortress. He is protecting us. He surrounds us with these impregnable forces, and only that which he deigns for our ultimate good is permitted to enter. Sometimes I think um, people have far too big a devil and far too small a God that our, our God is sovereign. The, the devil's powerful, but he's not all powerful. He's mighty, but he's not almighty. Our God is bigger, and our God is stronger, and he's this fortress that surrounds his people. Do you remember um, Paul says, no temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and when tempted, he himself will provide a way of escape, that that only that which he deigns for our good he emits into our life. We were working through the Lord's Prayer in Balamina, and I came to that line, um, um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And uh, I was just making the very simple point that that petition would make no sense unless God was God of the devil. Unless God was sovereign in the realm of temptation and trial, it would make no sense. If he is to deliver us from the evil one, he must be more powerful than the evil one. If he is to deliver us from temptation, then he's uh, in control even in the realm of temptation and trial. That's why Martin Luther dared to refer to the devil as God's devil that even the powers of darkness are uh, under the control of his fingertips. You remember um, our Lord to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. Satan has asked. He had to ask to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you that you may not utterly fall, and when you turn back, strengthen the, the brothers. And I was uh, a boy. I was part of the Sea Cadets in, in Bangor, growing up like a junior department of the Navy. Uh, it was really a recruiting pool for the Navy. There were. Uh, subsidizing these boys for holidays in the hope that they get a taste for the Navy and ultimately we go into the Navy. And uh, one of the trips that we went on was to Portsmouth. And uh, there must have been 200 boys from all over the uh, the, the British Isles. And uh, we were marching across this parade uh, ground into what looked like an 8 by 10 garden shed. I just wonder where the boys were disappearing to. But they all just kept marching into this shed. But from uh, this shed, there were stairs leading downwards into a nuclear air raid shelter, which was uh, had three feet of concrete, walls of three feet of concrete lined with with, with lead that the military brass in the, in the face of a nuclear attack would go there for security and safety. And they would be safe when all the other plebs were out exposed to the radiation. But, but God is our nuclear air raid shelter. He's, he's protecting us, and only that which he deigns for our ultimate good is permitted to come into uh, our lives. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear. Secondly, not only is God our strength, uh, we need not fear, but God, uh, our refuge, we need not fear, but God is our strength. We uh, will not faint. Look at verses 4 to 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nation rage nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So when Hezekiah realized that the Assyrian army was advancing and threatening, Uh, What he did very cleverly was he he went uh, around Jerusalem and he covered up all the springs and streams that supplied the city with water. Jerusalem itself has no natural water source. There was this stream called the the stream of Siloam that fed into the city and uh, and filled the the pool of Siloam that's mentioned in the the New Testament. But he covered that all up and he built a conduit over 1,700 feet and directed that stream uh, right into the heart of the city. You can go to Jerusalem today and you can visit Hezekiah's tunnel and you can actually walk through it uh, into the city. So you imagine the scene, here are these Assyrian soldiers, they arrest, they arrive and they lay a siege to the city of Jerusalem. They actually, Isaiah tells us, they actually taunt the inhabitants of Jerusalem, knowing that there's no fresh water supply, about having to drink their own urine. You can read about that in the book of Isaiah. And, and, uh, and imagine the logistics of them having to travel over vast distances to transport water in uh, clay pots to ref- refresh their vast army. And all the time, there is this hidden stream Flowing into the very heart of Jerusalem, refreshing the city of God. That's what's referred to in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Jerusalem was refreshed in the face of opposition with fresh water. And the psalmist takes that and he applies it spiritually. To Jerusalem, just as Jerusalem had this hidden source of strength flowing into her midst, so the believer has this hidden source of strength in her God. Verse five: God uh, is in the midst of her; she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. You see, to the Assyrian army. And Jerusalem was just one more weak little city that needed to be conquered. But what the Assyrian army couldn't see was the invisible God who dwelt in that city, who dwelt in the temple, who dwelt in the Holy of Holies, who manifested his presence above the Ark of the Covenant. God was in the midst. When Luther was facing acute opposition, he said, God is in the midst. If we perish, Christ must perish too. And I would rather perish with Christ than prosper with the world. Someone at the height of the Reformation came to him and said, that The whole world is against you, Luther. To which Martin Luther replied rather confidently and maybe even arrogantly, Then it's God and Luther against the whole world. God was in the midst. You see, the the Christian individually and the church corporately has this hidden resource unseen, undetected by the world that strengthens her even in the face of opposition. Paul put it like this. He says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? The God who knew us. The God who predestined us, the God who called us, the God who justified us, the God who ultimately will glorify us, the God who did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us all. This God, this God, if this God is for us, who who can be against us? He sustains his people, he enables his people, he upholds his people even in the face of difficulty. And look at verse 7, repeated uh, in verse 11. Uh, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts. They think the NIV translates that, uh, the Lord Almighty, the idea that he commands the hosts of heaven, the armies of heaven are under his authority and, and move at his dispatch, that, that he is in control of the, 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 the resources of heaven. But why, why would he say the God of Jacob is with us? Why not the God of Abraham? why not use the normal uh, covenant formula, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why Why single out Jacob in particular? Well, if you know your Old Testament, you would know that out of the, the patriarchs, Jacob was the most unfaithful. He was a twister by name and a twister by nature. He was uh, um, a man who was disposed to deception, who advanced his own cause through relying on his own resources. And perhaps, you see, some of the people of Jerusalem were coming and saying, yeah, he, he is the God of the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord Almighty. We believe confidently that God can deliver us that He is the all-powerful God, but God won't deliver us because we have been unfaithful to Him. We went into the temple. We stripped the temple of its gold and silver and precious artifacts. We have been unfaithful to Him. We believe that God can deliver us, but God's not going to deliver us because we have sinned against Him. And the psalmist comes in and says, remember, remember, he's the God of Jacob. He's, he's the God that Micah says, who delights in mercy. Isn't that a lovely verse? That, that God finds pleasure in extending mercy. It, it brings God pleasure to be Gracious. Sometimes we have too narrow a view of God, don't we? That we think God's there just to spring on us and punish us and terrorize us. But he's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Jacob. Do you remember um, Paul had that thorn in the flesh? And uh, three times then, three times he prays that God would take that thorn of flesh in the flesh away. Now, we don't know what it was. The Bible's wonderfully ambiguous because as some scholars suggest, it was his failing eyesight or epilepsy, then epileptics and blind people would find great comfort in that verse. But he doesn't tell us, so all of us can find comfort and find rest in that verse. But he prays that God would take this thorn in the flesh away, whatever it was. John MacArthur, John MacArthur thinks it was um, a troublesome church member. Now, I have a great deal of sympathy for that view, but... But I'm not sure it's true. Uh, but anyway, whatever that thorn in the flesh is, he pressed three times it would take it away. And God says, no. He says, my grace, my grace is sufficient for you that God does strengthen us for every trial and every every difficulty in our lives. But he wants us to understand that that river of strength that flows in to the heart of the believer is in its very nature gracious. Uh, you, You know, God in his justice gives us what we do deserve. God in his mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. God, in his grace, gives us what we don't deserve. It's like the, the little boy that um, went in to buy an ice cream, and uh, he, the man pulled the ice cream for him, gave it to him, and he hadn't the money. Justice would be taking the ice cream back off him, Uh, mercy would be letting him go without paying, and grace would be giving him the box of ice cream. Well, are God's gracious? And, And this very, very source, this river of strength that flows into the heart of the believer is in its very nature grace. Isn't that thrilling? Isn't that like we foul and uh, uh, mess up all the time. We get in ourselves into predicaments that we have nobody to blame but ourselves. We have sinned against God. And sometimes the devil says, oh, God can deliver you, but God won't deliver you. And Psalm 46 comes and says, remember, he's the God of Jacob. He's the God who delights in mercy. He's the God who is generous and gracious to his people. Wonderful, wonderful. Even when we mess up, he still picks us up, he dusts us off, puts our feet back in the pathway of obedience and gives us the spiritual strength that we need to persevere. He's the Lord of hosts, but he is also the God of Jacob. God is protecting us, verses one to three. Uh, We need not uh, fear. God is strengthening us. Verses 4 to 7, we will not faint. Remember the outline, table of contents in verse 1. Refuge, first section. Strength, second section. Third section, he's a very present help in trouble. Last point, 8 to 11, God is sovereign. We need not fret. Just look at verses 8 to 11. Come behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Uh, We are a very fretful people. Uh, We're easily worried, easily unsettled, easily panicked. But in this section, the psalmist reminds the people of Jerusalem that even in the face and the threat of this ruthless, mighty Assyrian army, that God is sovereign over all and ruler over all, and they need not fret. God himself speaks at the end of the psalm, and he says, be still and know that I am God. Now, that word still doesn't mean to be quiet or silent as it's sometimes understood. It rather means to let go. It means to take your hands off. It means to sit back and observe. Observe, I've always at that expression, you've got to let go and let God, as if our faith is a, a passive thing without any responsibility in it. But this is one situation that that phrase could be used if properly understood. The people of Jerusalem, understandably, were panic-stricken. As they looked out from the walls of Jerusalem at the fast Assyrian army camped on their doorstep, they were gripped with fear. If they refused to surrender, it was the common code and accepted practice of war that if a a city um, uh, closed the doors uh, in the face of an advancing army, every citizen, man, woman, and child in that city would be put to death. That's what was so significant about the siege of Derry and the Apprentice Boys, because the Apprentice Boys closed those doors, knowing that if the city fell, every person in that city would be put to death. But God comes and he says, in the, the face of that threat, he says, Don't don't panic. Be still. Remember that I am God. Let me do what I do best, let me be God. And it's all too easy when the the uh, earth gives way and the volcano erupts and we are overwhelmed by tidal waves it's all too easy to forget that God is God and that as God he's in control even of the earthquake the volcano, and the hurricane tidal wave. The psalmist invites the inhabitants of Jerusalem to remember the works of God in the past. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He he speaks, and wars come to an end. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He speaks, and the instruments of war are broken. He burns the chariots with fire. Um, I think the NIV says he burns the shields with fire, but I think chariots is a better translation. The the chariot in the ancient world was equivalent of the modern-day tank. The foot soldier was impotent. He was powerless before it. It was dreaded by by any uh, uh, defending army. But he speaks, and the chariots are broken. That God has been faithful in the past. He's uh, revealed his power in the past, his sovereignty in the past. And now he calls the people to be still. God himself is speaking, and he says, Be still, and know that I am God. Jonathan Edwards, the American theologian, says, The sole consideration that God is God is sufficient to still all objections to his sovereignty. (laughs) The sole consideration that God is God is sufficient to still all objections to his sovereignty. Is he God? Well, if he is God, he must be sovereign. What kind of God would he be if he couldn't come to the aid of his people, couldn't interfere in the affairs of men, and work men's wrath around to praise him? What kind of God would that be? And the psalmist is is saying, "Look, look, remember that God is God, That He is in control, and although you don't understand what's happening, and although you can't see what is happening, God is at work. And you need to be still and let God be God. Let God do what He does best, let Him work it out, and you need to learn to rest in His providence, to to rest in His plans. And you know, to be honest, sometimes things happen in our lives that we can't make head nor tail of. And we, we just can't understand why God would allow this to happen. But we've got to believe that God is in control, that we need to still our hearts, settle our hearts, and we need to believe that God is working out his purposes and, pl- and his plans, even in a way that we don't understand. God, I, I can't see. I I don't know what you're doing. I can't make head or tail of this, but help me to rest in you. Help me to hand this over to you. Help me to allow you to be God in this situation. On one occasion, Erasmus wrote to, to, uh, Luther wrote to Erasmus, uh, and he said, your thoughts on God are too small. Your thoughts on God are too small. We've got to believe that, as we just sang, that he is sovereign over us. He is sovereign. He's in control of absolutely everything. And that even our sinful things, this is what theologians call the doctrine of confluence. Confluence is where two streams, if you remember your GCSE geography, two streams come together to form one river. So you have the upper Nile and the lower Nile, and they come together to form one river. So here's man making his independent, and at times very foolish uh, decisions, uh, exercising his free will. And into that stream of man's independent choices flows the stream of God's sovereignty who and he works it round and turns it round and brings good out of the very difficult situation that we find ourselves in. Do you believe that? You see, sometimes we hold the doctrine of the sovereignty of God in our heads but not in our hearts. And when the difficult things come, we run about like hens on hot griddles trying to sort out our own uh, circumstances rather than resting in God and trusting Him for His providence. Now, the Puritans used to say that providence uh, needs to be, it's like Hebrew, they said, you need to read it backwards to understand it. Sometimes when you're going through the crisis, you can't make head or tail of it as I've said, but it's when you look back, you see what God is doing and what God was planning and how God was working and weaving it round for good. Now I I guarantee that any Christian who has been a Christian for any length of time could come up here and tell me a story of providence in your life. I guarantee that could happen. How God has turned it round and worked it round and weaved it round for good. But let me finish by telling you one. A personal one of me. When I was um, about 15, uh, my dad decided, my mother had died, my dad decided to remarry and he wanted a fresh start and he wanted to go to Australia and he wanted the whole family to go with him um, to Australia. I was in love <laughs> at 15 to the girl that I ultimately married. But anyway, but anyway, I was in love and I didn't want to go to Australia. And I, I was very close to our careers teacher and he said to me, well, look, Stephen, I'll, I'll uh, send you for a job. The, the, this insurance company in Bangor has asked for uh, three insurance apprentices and uh, I'm gonna put your name forward for, for one of them. They had gone to different schools. And he says, um, now they want to interview three people. He says, but um, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pick out the two worst boys in the school and I'm gonna send you along with them so at least you'll look good. So, so that was fine. We went for the interview, our, 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 sorry. The, the two fellas, I should say, had green, one had green hair and one had piercings in every part of his body. And, uh, and so that was, that was fine. So I went back to my classroom, and I was talking to the friend sitting beside me. And I said, I think I've got this job. You know, I think it's a, a cert. And he says, I think I'll go for that interview too. And I says, oh, no, you're not supposed to go to that interview. It's only me and these two other rejects. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's just me. And he says, no, I'm going to go too. And he went and got the job. And I had to leave the love of my life behind and go off to Australia. Uh, broken hearted, it was very romantic in those days, broken hearted, and always resented that boy. Until one day I was walking through Korean Hospital when we were in Balaamuni, and uh, I met this minister coming to her, he was wearing a clerical collar, he's coming to me and he, uh, towards me, and he stopped me, and he says, are you Stephen Curry? I said, I am. And he says, I was the boy that took your job. So after wrestling him to the ground and, <laughs> no, <nah, laughs> I didn't. But he told me his story. So he was brought up in the Church of Ireland in, in uh, Bangor. It wasn't the evangelical church in those days. And he went off for training in England. He was very lonely. He was a choir boy in the, the Church of Ireland here. So he decided to go to the local even uh, uh, Anglican church, which was an evangelical church. And he went to that church and he was converted. I would have given up a thousand jobs for the conversion of anyone. But 35 years later, I saw the reason why he got the job. And what I'm saying to you is you may not know why you're going through what you're going through just now, but you need to be still and know that he's God, that he's in control, that he's working to his timetable, and he uh, has his plan and just trust in him. Matthew Henry says the sovereignty of God is a soft pillow for a weary head. And sometimes you come and say, well, God, I, I just don't know. I can't see a reason for this, but be still. Let God be God and let God work it out in his own time. God is protecting us, we need not fear. God is strengthening us, we will not faint. God is sovereign, we must not fret. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful words of this psalm. We thank you for the encouragement that they are. Uh, to us, and we pray uh, for anyone who's going through difficult times and hard times this morning. We pray, oh God, that, that they might know and appreciate freshly that you're protecting them, that you will strengthen them, that you'll never put a burden on their back, that you won't give them the strength to carry, and that you are God, and in your providence, you're working all things for the good of those that love you. And that although they can't see your plan or purpose, that they will trust that you have a plan and purpose and that they will rest in you. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.